you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Hey, so a note about the editing on this episode. When I was about three quarters of the way through it, Audacity freaked out, crashed, and corrupted my save file, and I had to start over. So as a result, the version y'all are getting may seem a bit rushed. The sound quality may be a little bit lower. I wasn't quite as fastidious about cleaning up filler words and policing the size of pauses. In general, it might just appear less polished, and I want you to know that's not representative of what you should expect in future. It's because I'd already spent like a day and a half working and then had to start over and... I just didn't have the time or the energy to do it up proper. Hopefully this won't happen again. Audacity is generally a very nice program, and I kind of have to accept this occasional meltdown as a case of you get what you pay for, because it is free. Anyway, episode. There are a couple things to do. There's some leftover correspondence that we have from Christmas. Okay. And there's also a shout out due on the Patreon. So our first patron that we would like to shout out is Maria Bach. So thank you, Maria, for your patronage on our Patreon. It supports the podcast. It helps us create more content for you guys. And it helps us with some of the things that we have in store, which I'm really excited to get to some some rumblings for D&D and tabletop related things going on. Schemes, I would say. Schemes indeed. With that, actually, I will talk a little bit about our new Patreon. So we've had a Patreon for a little while, but we are finally getting up with some new benefits for you guys. So yeah, we've had a Patreon for over a year, but only like four people found it. <laughs> so we've yes, had which their- is totally warranted. <laughs> yeah, which is totally warranted because we weren't really doing anything with it. It just existed. <laughs> Right. And so now we are finally able to give back. We put in a lot of prep work over the break and we are able to give back to you guys who help support and make this podcast happen. So there will be some blooper reels, outtakes, things like that that are going to be exclusive to our patrons. Polls will now be exclusive to our patrons. There is cool merch that you will automatically get if you're in certain tiers of our Patreon. Let's see, what else do we have? We've got production updates, behind the scenes. We've also got things that are in the works. So hopefully some of our dual text translations, RPG stuff, we'll be taking some of the stuff that is already on the blog, developing it, and hopefully publishing it. And that will be available to patrons as it comes out. So stuff like that. It's growing. It's going. We're excited about it. So definitely check that out. And our patron tiers are pretty cool. I'm just going to say they're pretty cool. Do you want to list off some of our our patron tiers? You will recognize these if you've been a listener of the podcast for a little while. Oh, I was just about to ask if you meant the names of the benefits, but I think now it becomes clear. All right. So if you give us a very small amount, I think it's set at like anything under $5. You are an emotional support chicken. You give us your emotional support and you receive our gratitude. Absolutely. The other ones are you are an anti-purveyance peasant above that in a shrine slime shaman, which is hard to say. Yes. 
I'm trying to remember what comes next. I think you are a Lachakun or a Leechkin. Yeah, Leechkin. And a party knight. And then the starfish monarch. Yes. So and yes, we take also your rightful have... place among these tiers. Patreon is up. Patreon is running. Thank you, patrons, particularly this week, Maria Bach, for supporting the podcast. We couldn't do it without you guys. This is sponsored by viewers like you. <laughs> Although I guess your listeners. I don't know what you're viewing right now. You could be viewing Listeners anything. like you. That's fair. Either way, Patreon, check. Yes. <laughs> do we want to do correspondence at the end? I think that's a good idea. We are going to have our full Lord Willen and the Creek Don't Rise. We will have our full segments at the end of this one because if we don't get bogged down, we're going to get through the first quarter of the text at least. Oh, and, huzzah. And we had plans to do our segments at the end of each quarter. Perla's Vouse has taken its time. I know, I know. Some of these chapters are much shorter than others. I think chapter six is the biggest one we've done so far. That's fair. I mean, it's hilarious and very fun, and we always come out of it with, like, a whole new campaign to do. Yeah. So. But it is a lot, and frankly, if you weren't, like, doing other texts to break it up, I would have been hesitant about introducing such a large text into this format. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you know, you get your episodic sequels, and then you also get your standalone mini-texts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know I always hate when a show that was great with Monster of the Week suddenly becomes very continuity-heavy. Oh my gosh, yeah. The X-Files, Angel, like, it's just no good. Yep, agree. And uh, whoever is currently typing your angry rejoinder about the X-Files or Angel, I look forward to hearing from you. I have other examples. Some still more controversial. Send your hate mail to Mac. I have, I have no stake in this. I don't watch TV anymore. I'm calling out the Magnus archives. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Well, luckily for us, Perlis Vels has no continuity whatsoever. It's just series of episodes and angry knights fighting each other. So which knight are we following today? Because so far we've met Lancelot and we've met Gawain or Gawain and we've met Percival for like two seconds. Yes. If I recall correctly, at the end of Branch 6, we switched from Gawain to Lancelot. All right. Previously on Perlis Vows. Gawain was given a quest. In order to enter the land of the Fisher King, he must retrieve the sword that beheaded John the Baptist. Gawain then arrives in the kingdom ruled by Gurgaran, the king who holds that sword, and is shown the sword, it's quite nice, and told that he may have it if he can save the king's son from a giant. Gawain kills the giant, but does not save the son. The son dies. And apparently this is good enough because Gurgaran not only gives him the sword, but converts to Christianity, along with whether they like it or not his entire country due to Gawain's example. Gurgaran also cooks and eats his dead son, but he does share. On his way back, Sir Gawain falls for the same trick twice, once from the King of the Watch and once from the townsmen that had previously lent him a horse, wherein they ask politely to see the sword that beheaded St. John the Baptist, and once the sword is in their hands, they keep it. In both cases, Gowan manages to get it back. He then returns to the land of the Fisher King, where he is introduced to the castle of FAQ, where he gets to ask questions about all of the strange shit he's seen. It turns out that it's all metaphors. He then enters the land of the Fisher King, and is present while the Grail is brought out, but he fails to ask the question because he is tripping balls the whole time, due to either religious ecstasy or something weird in the thurible. Afterwards, he leaves under a literal personal rain cloud, and eventually arrives at the land owned by the poor knight, 
He is a knight who is deeply impoverished, one of those old money falls on hard times sort of things. But he seems like a nice guy. Not long after Sir Gawain arrives at the castle of the poor knight, an injured and dying knight comes riding up to inform him that Lancelot is in a fight nearby. Gawain goes to help, they do the murder thing, and when they get back, it turns out that the knight who had come to fetch Sir Gawain has died of his wounds. Gawain and Lancelot bury him. Gawain and Lancelot then move on, they have a talk about Gawain's failure at the court of the Fisher King, and then they part ways. Are we on, we're on branch seven. seven. We're starting branch seven. All right. Alright, not too long after Lancelot and Gawain have parted ways, Lancelot meets another knight whose green shield strikes him as familiar. And they have the following conversation. Hey, I'm looking for my twin brother, Gladwain. He is the finest knight in the Isle of Mores, and his lady, the most beautiful in said isles, misses him dearly. Um, take off your helmet, okay? He does. Good news, I've definitely met your twin brother. Bad news... I helped bury him this morning. Really? Yes, but he was a really great knight. He saved my life. So you know, if you need anything, dot dot dot. Or ellipsis, as the sages say. And so this knight was the one who, like, showed up with a spear in his gut and just died on the doorstep where Lancelot and Gawain were. Yes, and he was, like, weirdly mysterious about his name in his dying moments, but apparently it's Gladwain. Direct quote. Thus the knight heard that his brother was dead, and he believed Lancelot's words. He began to lament as no other man had ever done. And Lancelot said to him, Stop this grieving, for it will do you no good. But I offer you my service and my chivalry, wherever you wish. All these knights are complete bastards. I know! They're so mean to each other! Oh yes, the brother you're looking for, he's dead. I know this for a fact. I helped bury him. Stop crying. People die. <laughs> Suck it up. What is it? Toxic chivalry. Problematic patriarchy. Yes, exactly. Again. Again. Yes. Every time. Constantly. Particularly in this text. But like, I do like that our author has established that the knights are toxic. Like, He has established that in this universe, everybody kind of sucks. Yes. So you can at least go into it expecting it. Facts. So, continuing, the Knight of the Green Shield allows that there is actually one problem he has that he had been hoping Gladwain would put right, and Lancelot agrees to help him. The Knight of the Green Shield leads Lancelot back to Mores, his homeland. Side note, in Evans, these are the Isles of the Moors, like as in Morocco, but I'm pretty sure that's not what was intended. But Mores as in, like, morals, right? Yes, technically. but this is, of course, a French text, and I'm not sure if that wordplay follows. Probably not the Moors. That's probably a 19th century yeah. aberration. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Evans was more interested in trying to place this in a real, like, location, um, because he also called the King of the Watch, you know, the guy with the bird alarm. Uh, he oh, called yes. him the King of Wales. So how did we get to the Moors from here? That seems like a very long way from England and Wales. Well, there's, there's a lot of blurring in travel time. Ugh, you might as well ask how we got to what I assume are fictional islands. True. This is true. But anyway, they go, they go back to the Isles of the Mores, or the Moors, or the Moors, where he points out, quote, a castle high on a rock with a wide plain beneath, and we get a whole little drama. 
that was my brother's castle. I guess it's mine now. But another knight seized it from our family. He'll probably be showing up any minute now. A passing squire informs them that the Lord of the Rock is approaching with battle in mind. I like how there's just passing squires. Like, these guys just walk around. It's like how there's always a hermit to give logic. So what do we have? We've got, we've got hermitages in the forest. We've got hermits full of wisdom. And we have passing squires who are basically just little message runners. Yes. Anyway, the squire shows up. See? That's convenient. A company of knights approaches. That one there. I'm on it. Lancelot unhorses the Lord of the Rock easily and then approaches with sword drawn. Wait, who the fuck are you? Oh, I have to kill you for stealing Gladwain's castle. I don't see why that's any of your business. Life debt, you know. Lancelot beheads him. Are we good? Yep. Let me know if you need anything else. <laughs> a-, a life for a life, I guess, but here we are with more beheadings. Yeah, I do like that he's just like, okay, kill that guy. And the, the Lord of the Rock is basically like, why are, what? What? And it's just like, look, <laughs> I said I would. You understand. This is how we all operate. I want to know what the internal politics of all these knights looks like. Or even if it's worth tracking. Because the sheer spider web it must look like mm-hmm. is wild to me. Yes, there is a whole... God, this, there's not even... I was going to say there's a whole adventure, but there, or a whole campaign, or a whole setting, but there's a whole separate game in, in this. In just oh, yeah. tracking the various debts and enmities among these knights. Also, I can't believe that we didn't start a kill count for Lancelot and Gawain. Oh, yeah, we totally should have. All right. Future Mac. Oh. At this point in the text, Gowan has six kills, two of which are ambiguous, but it definitely sounded like a lethal wound. And Lancelot's beheading of the Lord of the Rock is his third. Oh. And then we'll just keep tallying it up. So Lancelot stays the night with the Knight of the Green Shield at Rock Gladowing, as this castle is apparently called, then heads out the next morning. As he travels, he encounters a very depressed-looking knight. What's your deal? Oh, there's a really rough challenge ahead if you continue on this path. I got stabbed pretty good, and now I'm riding off to probably die. So, tell me more about this challenge. It's called the Castle of the Beards. You either give him your beard or fight to the death. I don't really recommend it. Actually, that sounds about my speed. There is a guy that Arthur fights in I think it's I think it's Geoffrey of Monmouth. It's Geoffrey of Monmouth who and it's just a guy who is he just collects beards mm-hmm. and he's got an outfit full of beards. So I'm guessing that's where this came from. Yeah, it could well be. But yeah, just in case anyone was wondering, yes, we are saying beard, like the hair that grows on your face. Yes. You give them your beard, like it's like the opposite of a scalping, like the bottom. Yeah. Mm. Although I imagine it's just the hair and not like the blood and flesh bits. I think so it depends it, on how gnarly you want to make it. That's true. Maybe it is just a bottom scalping. Ugh. That's a phrase. Lancelot continues and arrives at the castle. And I have a... One, I have a direct quote describing the castle. And two, that is officially the end of this first notebook full of notes. Ooh! Oh, huzzah. <laughs> it hath been thrown. 
Looking at the castle entrance, Lancelot could see beards pinned all over the gate. And knights' heads were hanging there in great numbers. So we all just need to take a moment and, and visualize. Visualize this gate full of heads and beards. Just attached to it like Spanish moss. Ew. <laughs> yeah, you thought eldritch horror was bad? How about beard horror? Body horror? Right? Ugh. Yeah, this whole episode is pretty gnarly. Ugh. All right. And now, opening my new notebook, we have a conversation between Lancelot and the gate guards. Oi, you've got to pay the toll. There's a toll. Anyone who wishes to pass must pay with their beard. We're going to specify right here that clean-shaped people may pass for free. In case you were concerned about this minutiae of the system, your beard looks nice and long. We want it. Um, why? <laughs> this is horrific. We use them to make hair shirts for the hermits in the forest. That's fucking weird. And you can't have mine. That is fucking weird. <laughs> I like that they decided to explain it. Like... <laughs> In, in any other text, I think they just say they took beards as trophies and go like, okay, yeah, fine. But they're like, what do you do with the beards? <laughs> we make them into hair shirts. Do the hermits want those? Oh. It's like your grandma when she makes like the fruitcakes and oh. she always brings them and you're like, mm, it's a brick. Thank you. Don't want that. But every year, every year. You know, I've heard this is a classic experience, but I've still never even seen a fruitcake in person. I have once. Not from my grandmother, who was a very good cook. Yeah, I, w I, w I thought you were going to go with a knitting metaphor, and I was about to defend my grandmother's knitting skills. Oh, no! The knitting is fantastic. If they were making, like, I don't know, if they were spinning the beard hair into yarn to make knitted hair shirts, I feel like that's very different. Maybe they do. It doesn't Ooh. say what the process is. That's, you know, that's true. That's better than just, like, scalping a bunch of beards and then just slapping them on to, Ooh. you know... Yeah, I do think there's still a, a definite question as to whether, like, the hermits asked them to make them hair shirts like this, or want them, or accept them. Yeah, like, that's a question, but also, like, are these are these hair hermits? Are these beard hermits? What do they need with these beard shirts? Why? Well... Why, why isn't hunting good enough? Traditionally, the hair shirt is penance, so maybe it's extra penance if it's made from beards and it makes you feel gross when you wear it. Oh, I mean, that would be very effective, but ew. <laughs> anyway, Lancelot fights the gate guards, but before he can kill them both, he does get one. Lancelot kill count? Four. The lady of the castle comes down and intervenes, and this is our next thing. I was really dialogue-happy when I noted this one. Oh, hold on. Come over here and chat. What's up? Come take lodging in my castle and make amends for how you brought disgrace upon me. I've... what now? Look, these guys were trying to steal my beard. That's not normal. And a direct quote follows. I will forget my anger on condition that you will lodge here tonight. Fine. Also, I know who you are. Great. They then have a really f***ed up dinner, and I have a direct quote for you. I like that you preface this with the f***ed up part. Alright, let's go. With that, they all sat down to eat. The first course was brought in by knights in irons, whose hands had been cut off. 
The second was wrought by knights in irons, who were led in by boys, because their eyes had been put out. The third course was wrought in by knights in irons, who had only one hand. Then there came other knights who had only one foot, and they brought the fourth course. With the fifth course came noble and handsome knights, each carrying a naked sword in his hand, and they presented their heads to their lady. Lancelot sat there and watched what happened to these knights, and he deplored the service they paid. Uh... All rose from the table, and the lady led Lancelot to her chamber. Wow. I mean, I know what they say about, like, you are a part of the violence if you don't stand up to stop it, but Lancelot is literally one man in this situation. There's an explanation, which is in our next dialogue. Is it a metaphor? I'm going to be so mad if it's a metaphor. (laughs) That would be great, actually. Is it better or worse if it's a metaphor? These fictional men with missing hands and eyes and feet and assorted limbs. I mean, I'm sure it is a metaphor, but I'm also sure that they are literally missing their limbs. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Here we go. Direct quote. You have seen the justice and government of my castle. All those knights were vanquished at the passage of my gate. It seems harsh. You could be the lord of the castle. And of me. Sounds nice. Sure. Lancelot, my dude. Alright. <laughs> then stay here, because I love you. Oh, um, about that. I've made this vow that is totally real. That I can't stay in any castle for more than one night until I finish my journey. Oh, well, where are you going? The Castle of Souls. Which, according to the footnote, is the court of the Fisher King. Right. I heard about that place. The Fisher King is languishing because two knights have failed to ask questions about the Grail. (laughs) Well, will you come back after you see the Grail and ask the question? Totally. One of the lady's maids pops out of the shadows or something. Hey, Lancelot, aren't you in love with Guinevere? I don't think you're sufficiently pure of heart to see the Grail. Wait, what's this about Guinevere? No comment. (laughs) Oof. So he just, let me get this straight. Lancelot just thought this whole procession was, quote, deplorable. Yes. And yet, he's willing to stay with this lady? I assume she's hot. And I also assume that Lancelot is the kind of person who has no considerations beyond she's hot. He is a knight, and he has displayed toxic chivalry, so he fits that category. Problematic patriarchy! This vow has not been mentioned before, so I really do Mm-mm. feel like he just made it up. as like a, oh no, no, this has to be like a one-night thing, because um, I've made a vow. I, I have a vow? <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's actually, that's great. We got to use that for D&D. He's like, no, 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 no. It's one night stands only. I have a vow thing. Can't, can't cut it. Yeah. Now, uh, to our listeners in real life, we are not advising you to use this line. But if you do, I want to hear how badly it goes for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of on your own head. If for some reason it goes well, I kind of want to hear about that too. Oh, for sure. However it goes. Even if it's in a campaign and you use it, I want to hear about it. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, Lancelot stays the night and leaves in the morning. The next day, he is passing through a cemetery where a dwarf is digging a grave. Give Warwick Davis a disguise, Zoe. (laughs) Gosh, he's digging a grave? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll give him, like, 
a plague doctor mask and the wide brim hat that the doctors wore in that time. By the yes. way, if you didn't, I think we've talked about this before. Is it sumptuary law where you have to wear a certain mm-hmm. dress, a certain kind of outfit? Yeah, that's that. To be a certain or to blah, blah, blah. wow. When you have a certain trade, you have to wear a certain outfit. You have a dress code, is my point. D&D I'm idea. Just... A kingdom where the law is the reverse of that. Where if you <laughs> wear a doctor's outfit, you are legally a doctor. <laughs> Why would you do this to me? <laughs> you could have edited that out. <laughs> but now it's going to stay in. <laughs> because it's such a great idea. <laughs> like, as soon as you said it, I was like, I need that to exist. <laughs> <laughs> you just you put on the hat and you can't take it off. And now all of a sudden you're like, wow, medical knowledge. Yeah. Or like you just, each profession comes with a set of legal obligations. Like if you're a doctor, you have to follow the Hippocratic Oath or whatever the equivalent is. And yeah. if you're dressed like a doctor, the law considers everyone you a doctor. You. Yeah, everyone holds you to that standard. Amazing. No question as to whether like you're qualified. They're just like, you're wearing the hat. That guy looks legit. He's got the uniform. Yeah. It's like when you go into Target and you wear khakis and a shirt. Yes, it's exactly like that, but with the backing of the law. (laughs) Like, this is a kingdom where if you went into Target with khakis and a red shirt... You now worked for Target. Yes, or at least if someone assumed you worked for Target, you would be legally obligated to serve them. There would be a many... Many a Karen would love that. Yes. Anyway, Warwick Davis is wearing a plague bird mask and one of the wide room hats that medieval and renaissance doctors wore. Yes. And Lancelot decides to just ignore him, but the dwarf yells the following as he passes. And it's a direct quote. Here we go. Lancelot, you are not right to hail me, for you are the knight I hate most in the world, and may God give me vengeance upon your body. Lancelot continues to ignore the dwarf. Instead, he rides to the chapel where he finds a maiden preparing a night for burial. An- another one? Yes. Lots of They're these are dropping around. like flies. But as soon as Lancelot enters, the corpse's wounds begin to bleed, which, as any medieval sage could tell you, indicates that the murderer is nearby. Oh, no! I didn't, I didn't make a slide for this. Oh. So I guess I'll have to do all the parts. Okay. So the maiden says, Wait! You're the one who killed this man?! The dwarf enters, with two more knights carrying two more corpses, and the dwarf says, Vengeance is at hand! Followed by the knight, agreeing, Hey, yeah, you're the one who killed these three in the forest the other day! Lancelot, confronted by all this, explains, <clears throat> They deserved it. Wait, which, which knights are these anyway? These are the ones that killed uh, Gladwain. Okay, yeah, they did deserve it. When Lancelot was introduced, he was in the middle of a fight. It was with these guys. Again, the spider webs. Yeah. Lancelot goes on. Also, we're in a chapel. That's base, that is. He's got a point. He's got a point. <laughs> According to Fantasyland Medieval Rules, he's got a point. I know. No, he's not wrong. So, I'm just going to stay the night here. Good night, everyone. <laughs> And that's how he handles that. I mean, if you know the rules of the genre, then you can get away with it. But damn, if that ain't some fourth wall breakage. Lancelot does stay in the chapel most of the night. Apparently he doesn't sleep, though, because just before dawn, he decides to make a break for it. Warwick spots this happening and calls the knights to seize him. They try, but Lancelot kills one and the other rides off. Lancelot kill count five. 
Lancelot continues riding until he reaches a hermitage. There he has a meal, hears mass, and takes a nap. As Lancelot is leaving post-nap, another knight is arriving because hermitages are inns. Turns out, this guy is the brother of the poor knight from earlier. Lancelot happens to have a spare horse, so he hands it off to the brother to pass along. Goes like, tell him, it's from me. He does not say, for instance, the original owner won't be looking for it because I killed him a few hours ago. Even though that's also true, this is the horse that guy was riding. Wow. But he does add, say hi to the girls because priorities. Lancelot, you cheeky little <laughs> son of a bitch. Fair enough. Lancelot continues, eventually arriving in a very atmospheric location, which I'm going to read directly from the text for. Then Lancelot left the hermitage and rode on until he passed out of the forest and found before him a wasteland, a land stretching far and wide where there dwelt neither beasts nor birds. For the earth was so dry and so poor that there was no pasture to be found. Lancelot gazed out far before him, and a city appeared to view. He rode on towards it at a swift pace, and saw that the city was so huge that it seemed to fill an entire country, but he could see its walls crumbling round about, and the gates leaning with age. He rode inside to find the city quite empty of inhabitants, its great palaces derelict and waste, its markets and exchanges empty, its vast graveyards full of tombs, its churches ruined. Through the great streets he rode until he found a huge palace which seemed to be in better condition and less ruined than the others. There's a lot of noise coming from inside this palace, so Lancelot stops and listens. There's a whole group of people inside bewailing that whoever they're talking to has been condemned to death. Valid reason for wailing. They then all swoon, apparently in such a way that it is clear what is happening from the vantage point of someone listening at the door, because Lancelot seems to know that they swooned, somehow. After this, a fancy-ass dude comes out of the palace, and I have another quote for him. Dressed he was in a red coat, with a rich belt of silk and gold girt round him, and a beautiful brooch was pinned at his neck, clustered with precious stones, and a golden hat he wore on his head, and in his hands he clutched a huge axe. That's pretty baller, not gonna lie. I feel like this is an appropriate time to say once again, if you decide to try this in real life, let us know how it goes. <laughs> The ultimate pickup to me. It's like peacocking, but you dress like the Green Knight. <laughs> Actually, I think I know at least a few people that would work on. It might yeah, work I would, on I me, would not and I'm not really even you know? into cis dudes. Right? Right? It's something about armor. Armor and weapons. You just, you, if you show up dressed in armor and weapons, instant turn on. That's fair. That's fair. That's a tip for everyone out there. Mm-hmm. If you show up to a date in full chainmail or plate mail, you will 10 out of 10 get them talking and it will continue the date. That is true. I thought you were going to promise some other kind of success, like you'll definitely get a second date. And I thought it was going to have to give a disclaimer, like maybe that works for Zoe, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> work for everyone. But yeah, it'll definitely be a conversation starter. I can't say it's, it's definitely not. a conversation starter. <laughs> All right. Anyway, once this knight shows up, he and Lancelot have a conversation. Now, I was going to ask you to name him, but. I have named him. Okay. He reminds me very much of another, much better character. But technically, this text came first. So mm. he's like a knockoff that precedes the better known one. So his name is Hydrox. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and we have our next exchange. Dismount. Lancelot does. What is it? 
Either you take this axe and cut my head off, or I'll use it to cut your head off. What the fuck? You've got her. Look, if those are the only options, obviously I'm picking the one where I survive. But can we not? Got to. But you're so pretty. Yes, I know. Anyway, forgot to mention that you also have to swear to come back here in a year and a day to have to cut your own head off, unless you want to do that part now. No, I'd still prefer you die now and I die later, but I'm deeply confused. It is a good day to die. He hands Lancelot the axe. See that church just there? Swear on all the relics in that church that you will come back here before a year and a day have passed, and have your head cut off. I am willing to make this promise for some reason. Hydrox kneels and offers his neck. Seriously, can we not kill you? Well, the two of us could swap places. No. And then I will quote directly. And he raised the axe and smote off the knight's head with such a terrible blow that he sent it flying seven feet from the body. (laughs) You didn't have to do him that hard, but okay. (laughs) Lancelot kill count six. Lancelot decides he's had enough and gets on his horse to leave. Hydrox's head and body vanish into thin air as soon as Lancelot looks away. Bruh! (laughs) And Lancelot can hear shouting elsewhere in the city, promising vengeance for Hydrox's death. What was the point of this except it is like a cheap version of the Green Knight? This isn't even Gawain! We've already seen Gawain! I know. Because I looked this up too, I was like, I, this this sounds very familiar. Apparently this is a motif that's been around for a while, and uh, before it was adapted into Gowan and the Green Knight, the Perlis Faust author took a crack at it. Wow. Gawain did it better. Yes. And with that, chapter seven ends. Huzzah. Chapter eight. We're now finally switching to our title character. <laughs> whom, you may recall, is lying in a sickbed in King Pelis's hermitage. I guess that's correct. So one day, when Pellis is out, Percival is feeling himself and decides it's high time he gets back to assaulting random strangers. Sorry, I mean, I'll quote directly. Never had he felt such an eagerness for feats of arms. Yeah, I think you're true to the text. So he just wanders off to find a victim. This entire story is just befuddling in all of the ways. Like, they, like usually they give the knights some reason to be fighting. Usually it's something like, oh, he's an evil bad guy. The orcs are evil because they're evil. They're literally corruptions of the good by, you know, the form of evil itself. That's the whole conceit. But this is just, this is just, he's off to hit some people. Yeah, the, and- the knights in this text are just violent psychopaths. They all are. It's quite impressive. Percival arrives in a clearing that he thinks would make a great spot for a joust. And then he hears hoofbeats approaching and says a little prayer, which I will quote. Oh God. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to put on my Percival voice. (laughs) Oh God. Grant in your gentleness. (laughs) Sorry, I'm going for slightly deranged. And I think I slipped a little Southern in there. (laughs) I think, I think it works. Keep roll with it. That there may be a knight coming on his horse. 
with whom I can test whether there is strength or valor or chivalry in me, for I do not know now what my strength might be, except that I feel a health in my heart and rejoicing in my limbs. But if a knight has no courage in him, then another knight of greater worth cannot properly test his valor against him. For I have often heard it said that some men are of more worth than others. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, right. And so I pray to the Savior that if it be a knight who is coming this way, he may be strong and bold and valiant in defending his body against mine. For I long to attack him. But may God grant that he does not kill me, nor I him. I think you nailed the voice. I am thoroughly disturbed by Percival, and if he doesn't die at the end of this text, I will be disappointed. <laughs> Good, thank you. So, a knight shows up, and Percival immediately charges at him, yelling a challenge. The knight is, and I quote, bewildered. <laughs> I wonder why. But manages to get his shield up to deflect the blow, and asked what's going on, and, um, why? Rather than answering... Percival lines up for another charge, and this time the other knight gets ready too. They charge and fuck each other up really badly with their lances. And I'm quoting this one as well, just so you know what kind of thing Percival thinks is fun. I don't know. Percival struck the knight full in the chest and thrust a good two fingers lengths of lance into his flesh. <laughs> yeah, we're both doing the same thing, yeah. That's like nearly a foot. You have long fingers. I don't know, like it's it's... It's more than six inches. Yeah, it is a bit more than six inches. I wouldn't... Yeah, you're right. It is most of a foot, I guess, technically. It's most of a foot. And the knight made no mistake, but thrust his lance... That's definitely a phrase to stumble over. Right through Percival's arm. Oh. The shafts flew into pieces, and as the knights passed, they crashed into each other so hard that the mail of their hauberks stamped rings on their foreheads and faces, and blood burst from their mouths and noses and drenched their hauberks. Gross. This comes from first-hand experience, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Oh, I'm sure. 100%. I'm pretty sure that Mallory, who is the the reason our best death segment is called Alto Brast. <laughs> is also drawing from experience whenever he describes people getting all toe brassed. That's, by the way, the sort of stuff that I usually just skip over by saying, there is now an action scene, but I'm going to throw it in there once in a while just so you remember what's happening. Understandable. Presumably, they are both unhorsed by this because they then draw their swords. The knight asks basically, again, who are you and why are we fighting? Percival again answers only with violence. While the two fight, Pellis comes back from, quote, working in the forest, unquote, whatever that means. He's making beard shirts. Oh, God. <laughs> he might be wearing one. He is a hermit. Ew. He's also a king. <laughs> it's the, he gets the, the softest, downiest beards. Ew. Uh, and finds Percival missing. So he gets on his special steed, which deserves a quote as well. Oh, he mounted a white mule that he kept there, whose forehead was marked with a red cross. The good scribe Josephus tells us that this mule had belonged to Joseph of Arimathea when he was a soldier of Pilate, and that he had passed it on to King Pellis. It's Bill the Pony! <laughs> Just in case you needed a confirmation as to what time period this is set in. We are within a mule's lifetime of the crucifixion. This is Bill the Pony. This is just a really, really long-living pony. <laughs> 
I mm, I don't know what era we're in anymore. I don't know what location we're in anymore. All I know is that if I ever land here, I'm going to play the whole girl boss route because otherwise I'm going to die. Yes. Honestly, the the haughty maiden does seem to be doing all right for herself, even yeah. though she's going to at best fill two of her three special collector's tombs. <laughs> she's got goals. She does have goals. She's trying. <laughs> you, you set goals and you work towards them. Oh, gosh. Anyway. Pellis rides off and soon hears the sounds of fighting and goes to break it up. Conversation, which is our only dialogue for this very short chapter, follows. Shame on you for fighting this poor sick knight. What? He started it. And who are you? I am Lancelot Duloc. Oh, your family, Percival. This is Lancelot, your second cousin on your father's side. Now kiss and make up. And I want to be clear, this is not a metaphor. They they really do kiss. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I just wanted to, to put that out there. I'm impressed. Is this like a is this like the, the European greeting like mwah 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 thing, or is this like full on the mouth? I kind of assume it's full on the mouth whenever they talk about kissing in, like, medieval romances. But the only detail we get is that in order to kiss each other, they had to take off their helmets and open the hoods of their hauberks. Oh, so they're kissing each other and they're covered in blood. Yes. Yeah, they don't clean up first. Oh, come on, guys. I mean, you could make a really cool art piece out of that, I'm not gonna lie. You could. You could. Like, I I can see it. I can yeah. envision it. And, you know, it's not bad. Not bad. Percival and Lancelot. Two bros. Just make sure that you incorporate the uh, impressions of the chainmail rings in their foreheads. That's pretty dope, though. That's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, they go back to the hermitage, and the maiden who has been caring for Percival while Pellets does hermit things. Hermit stuff. <laughs> yeah. Also, where was she earlier to stop him from wandering off? Not explained. Anyway, she takes a look at their wounds. Lancelot, she judges, will need to stay at the Hermitage with Percival while they both recover. We also get a note that Lancelot does know he's supposed to be looking for a knight whose shield is a white stag on a red field, but Percival didn't take his shield with him when he went out, so what are you going to do? That's right. We're, all, the, all the plot threads are coming together and they just keep going by each other. Yeah. Although, Lancelot's going to be stuck there for a while since he's been stabbed, so maybe they'll figure it out eventually. That would be nice. We can always dream. And that is the end of Branch 8. All right. I told you, some of these are pretty short. True. All right, Branch 9. The High History of the Holy Grawl. Yeah, that's what it's called. Ooh, damn it, I put a lot of dialogue in this one again. <laughs> oh, it's because it's this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this deserves dialogue. All right. Oh, good. Okay. Anyway, we're now switching over to someone you may remember from Chapter 3, but probably don't, because why would you? The author even feels the need for a recap. Oh, wow. So, but here the story leaves the two knights for a while, and tells of the youth whom Sir Gawain had met in the forest, who had told him that he was going to seek the son of the widowed lady, who as a boy had killed the youth's father. You may remember the widowed lady is Iglace, the son of the widowed lady is Percival. Yes, but he can't come out and say that yes, outright. Yes, right. 
I see, of course. And y'all may also remember that Percival's backstory involves him throwing a javelin at a knight and accidentally killing him, just like for shits and giggles. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, I didn't know you could actually kill a knight. Yes. You can't really kill a Jedi. It was exactly like that. <laughs> Proceeds to kill all of the Jedi. Anyway. But anyway, he did kill that guy. And so this chapter is about that guy's son. <laughs> this is the son of the Red Knight that we mentioned earlier, whom Percival randomly killed in the forest seven years ago. So we, we get a little timeline here. So he's like, what, 14 now? Like, well, guesstimating? We, yeah, I mean, he's young. We were told he's a youth. We, we don't get, he doesn't get a name. Okay, so tween. Yeah. I've written a note to myself in the margins. Last time I mentioned this guy, I called him Chaos the Red. Uh, Chaos the Red is the living brother. The Red Knight has still not gotten a name. Ah, I see. Uh, you may remember Chaos the Red is currently working with the Lord of the Fins. Yes. The Red Knight's kid rocks up to Arthur's court. And what does he see hanging from a pillar but the shield that, for some reason, he knows will eventually be carried by Percival, on whom he has sworn vengeance. He and Arthur have the following conversation, which I swear Arthur is only half paying attention to. Um, of course. And I don't think I wrote it in a slide because I've already done Arthur's voice and I'm doing this guy's voice too. So I'm doing both sides of this one again. <clears throat> the kid says, let me, let me get my surly teen happening. Let me see if I can make this. <laughs> Sire, I am the son of the Knight of the Red Shield of the Forest of Shadows who was killed by the knight who is to carry the shield that hangs on that pillar. And I Sad, would gladly dude. have news of them. Oh, yes, we're all hoping for news of the good knight. Join the club. No, you don't get it. He killed my dad. I'm looking for him in, like, a murder way. I'd also like you to knight me while I'm here. Oh, sure. Who do I make it out to? Arthur really is the most incompetent. Yeah, well, there's a reason this started with everyone saying that he sucks now. Understood. Anyway, at this point, we get the kid's name. And the first time I read this name, I was like, that is a cool name. And then I decided he was going to be a surly teen, because that's really the vibe I get off of him. At which point, the name started sounding less like a cool name and more like a fan fiction name. Like, oh, no. Like Raven Ebony? Exactly. I have written I have written down that, A, I'm pretty sure this guy is the Pearl of Spouse author's OC. Like, I don't think he appears anywhere else. And B, his name absolutely makes me think of Ebony Darkness Dementia Raven Way. Oh, no. What is it? Clamadaws of the Shadows. <laughs> it's like the most edgelord rogue D&D self-insert character. Exactly. Clamadaws. Of the shadows. It's what my character would do. <laughs> I know that Percival's supposed to be the hero, but, like, I want to have my backstory where he, like, kills my family. And so, like, now he's the big, bad, evil guy at the campaign. And I will make you all play to that, just so you know. To be fair, I think Percival fits better as the BBEG than as the oh, hero. Oh, he 100% does, but that's not what medieval history is trying to say. No, it is not. Anyway, at this point in the conversation, Gowan cuts in, suggesting that maybe knighting this kid and letting him go off to hunt down Percival might be a conflict of interest. 
However, Guinevere immediately shuts Gawain down with some pretty buckwild information. Oh no. Go Gwen. What you got for me, girl? Arthur has never refused to knight anyone. That is a very bad thing to know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ever. That's very not good. So he's got a knight, Clamadaz, because apparently it's round table policy to knight any rando who wanders through the door and asks. No wonder he's such a bad king, and no wonder there are so many knights going around killing each other. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. I'm surprised we haven't met, like, Sir Ram, Slayer of Mice, yet. Yeah! That's crazy. Uh, but at least this does explain why Arthur didn't seem to remember Percival in the beginning, despite having knighted him. Because apparently That's he just true. knights everyone. He's like, oh yeah, okay, sure, can do. Gawain gives in, because you can't argue with the queen, and Arthur knights Clamadaz. Clamadaz then proceeds to stay at court and hang out for, like, a while. The period of time is not specified, but time passes. Okay. He apparently intended to, like, just jump Percival and murder him whenever he showed up to get that shield. But after a while, he gets bored, figures Percival probably isn't coming anytime soon, and goes off in search of adventure. As one does. I feel like this is how a lot of knightly careers start. Yeah. Anyway, after riding, quote, a long while... Whom should Glamadaz encounter but Groucha, Chica, and Harpa? One of them, we must assume Groucha, because Groucha talks the most, Yes, is praying aloud, asking for a knightly escort to guide them through the mountain pass ahead. They then explain all over again what they're praying for when Glamadaz approaches, and Groucha delivers some exposition on this pass they are approaching. This is a direct quote. Sire, it is the Field of the Lion. There is a lion there so cruel and fearsome that none so terrible was ever seen. A knight lives with a lion between those two mountains. A good knight, a brave and handsome knight, but no one dares pass without great escort. For the knight who lives with a lion is not often there. If he were, then we would have no cause for fear, for there is in him much courtesy and valor. I like this, like, premise because it's basically saying, like, my buddy lives there, but he's got a really mean dog, and I don't want to walk past right now because <laughs> my buddy's not home. Understandable. Especially if it's, like, three three women alone with a cart full of heads. I'm presuming they're still dragging this cart full of heads. They, well, the heads were stolen by the Black Hermit, you may True. remember. True, yes, yes. But, but they the cart. do still have the cart, which we know because the next thing that happens is Clamadaz notices the cart. And they have the following conversation, which is all direct quotes. Ah, you are the maiden of the cart. You must tell me news of the knight I seek. And who may that be? He who is to bear the shield of Argent and azure bands with the red cross? I do, am seeking him. God willing, we shall have news of him. Damsel, news I would gladly have. And since you are seeking him as I am... I will guide you through the defile. I feel like they have very different goals yes. looking for Percival that they probably should clear up now, but I like where this is going. Interesting plot device. I love that Clamadaz has learned to just talk right past that. Go like, yeah, I'm looking for him too. Why? Don't ask. Everyone's looking for him. It's normal. It's normal. We're all looking for him. I'm a knight too. Chill out. Anyway, they head through the pass and find a great hall uh, encircled by a wall with a lion lying in the wall's gateway. The lion sees them and charges. That's enough time for Groucha to go, 
you might want to get off your horse for this, and for Clamadaws to follow her advice, then there is an action scene! Yes. Clamadaws kills the lion, and then decapitates it. Okay, a little excessive. And hangs the head over the gate. At this point, a, quote, boy, whatever that means, whether that means servant or, like, literal child, runs out of the hall and confronts him as follows. Dude, why did you just kill my lord's lion? And the head thing is meant as an insult? What the fuck? If your lord didn't want it killed, he should have kept it chained up so it couldn't attack passersby. This isn't a public fucking road. This is territory people have been trying to take away from my lord. The lion was loose to discourage trespassers. Who is your lord? Melio of Logre. Or Logres? I've never been sure how to say that one. I can't do it right. I think it's actually like some mutilate. Oh no, I know this. Uh, It's Logres, or however you say it, is the Welsh word for Britain. That's been, uh, like, transformed in being borrowed through French. Well, I'm going to say it in really, really bad, nasally Americanized. So here we go. Meliot of Lograce. He is a vassal of Sir Gawain and is currently out seeking him. Oh, is this the kid? Yeah, this is, this is the, the kid. the kid with the lion who's, like, all grown up now? Yeah, and now doesn't have a lion anymore. Oh, buddy. Also, I misspoke. The Welsh word for Britain is, of course, Britain, or Friday. The Welsh word for England is Lograce. Ah, gotcha. I just saw Gawain at King Arthur's court. Direct quote? By my life, I wish you could meet them both so that my lord could know that you have killed his f***ing lion. Well, okay, the f***ing was not part of the direct quote. I put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go back and edit that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, to be be clear, I don't think any of the f***ings were even in my script. That was you. No, they weren't. I just added those because it seemed like he needed them as It does fit the voice. Uh, Anyway, also direct quote. (laughs) Fair friend, if he is as courteous as you say, he would not reproach me for having defended myself. And may God keep me from meeting a man who would do me harm. At this point, they continue on, and eventually see a castle. They're about to change course and head towards it, but a conveniently placed boy, which I believe (laughs) is a song by the Dresden Dolls, informs them the castle is deserted and they should in fact continue in the direction they were already going. And I now have a direct quote for what they find. And there they beheld a vast array of pavilions pitched on a heap and surrounded by a great white sheet that looked from afar to be all crinolated, and this enclosure stretched a good league. So basically someone set up a rin fair. Like it's it's a castle made of tents. Nice. So we had the LARP, now we're at the Ren Fair. Yeah. It's a literal tent city, complete with cloth walls. That'd be pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. They ride up to it and find it is seemingly entirely inhabited by women. Interesting. Everyone is thrilled to see them. Clamadaws is cleaned up, dressed, and brought to the ruler of Tent Kingdom, who is referred to as the Lady or sometimes the Queen of the Pavilions. I've just called her Queen of the Pavilions uh, in all of our, like, little notes. But if you want to give her a name. I mean, I keep looking at it and the Q-O-P just looks like Quop. Like the running game? Is that a game? I don't know. I'm just I'm just looking at it and saying it. All right, we'll call her Quop. Queen, Queen Quop. <laughs> it comes out that for some reason, these women are also awaiting the good knight. Oh my gosh. He's not even that great. I know, right? 
whom they know, thanks to information from the maiden in the hermitage, the one who's, like, caring for his wounds, whom they know has been cured of his wounds, and thus should arrive any day now. Clamadaws has the following conversation with the Lady of the Pavilion, which we quote verbatim. Who is the good knight, my lady? The son of the widowed lady of the Vales of Camelot. And you think he will soon be coming here? I think so. I too would rejoice at his coming, my lady. May God grant that he arrives soon. What is your name, Sir Knight? My name is Clamadaws, my lady, and I am the son of the Lord of the Forest of Shadows. That is the stupidest name I've ever heard. It really is like a terrible self-insert. <laughs> it's like a it's like a medication. Clamadaws? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it gives you really noisy sleep. Yeah, there you go. Clamadaws may induce snoring. Please talk to your doctor before purchasing Clamadaws. <laughs> anyway, the lady of the pavilions is thrilled by this news because that means Clamadaws is her sister's son. In fact, he is her closest living relative, so she suggests he stay and help govern Tint Kingdom. Which he does, because apparently Percival is going to arrive there any day now. Except, much to everyone's confusion, he doesn't show up. Can't rely on him for anything. No. Right, we're switching back over to Percival's perspective. Yes. As opposed to Clamadaws. 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 <laughs> Having healed, he is heading out for unspecified destination due to unspecified reason. Understood. But he does assure Lancelot, who is still recovering from Percival stabbing him, that he will be back soon. That night, he comes to a castle, where he rides through the gate. The lord of the castle, coming to meet him, recognizes Percival. As soon as Percival dismounts, the lord, who is described as, quote, a great red-faced knight with an evil look and scars across his face in many places. It's a good NPC, I'd say. Mm-hmm, very much so. It's Geralt. It is a bit Geralt, although I wouldn't describe him as red-faced. <laughs> That's I'm not sure fair. if I mentioned to you, I've finally started reading those books. Mmm. I want your take, but later. And by started, I mean like a few weeks ago, I got the audiobooks and I've been having them on in the background and now I'm like three books in. I did the same thing. Anyway, that guy rushes to the gate and bolts it shut after Percival's already inside. Percival, undeterred, walks up and greets him. At this point, we get the following conversation quoted directly for the drama TM. I actually wrote TM in here, but I might put some reverb on it to give it the, like, audio equivalent of sparkle emoji. Yes. Incidentally, listeners, whenever I put reverb on, like, a word or phrase, that's what I'm doing. Imagine the sparkle emoji. <laughs> Before you leave here, you shall have such a reward as you deserve. You are my mortal enemy and a rash indeed to have come here, for you have killed my brother, Lord of the Forest of Shadows, and I am Chaos the Red, and I am waging war on your mother. I took this castle from her, and I will take your life before you leave here. Also, in case you were wondering, and for the benefit of the readers, uh, Chaos is in brackets in the script because in the Evans translation, he's Chaos the Red. But in the Bryant translation, which is the one that we're usually quoting from because it's more comprehensible, he's Keho the Red, or Kehot, C-A-H-O-T. Hmm. Chaos is better. Chaos the Red is a good name, so I'm using it. Fair. Anyway, Percival's response. I came to this castle to lodge with you, and it would be shameful of you to do me harm. 
Now give me lodging, as a knight should give another. And in the morning, when it is time to leave, let each do the best he can. By my life, my mortal enemy will never lodge here except as a dead man. Which is the coolest line I've ever heard in my life. Yes, yes, it's right up there with Harold Godwinson at the Battle of Stamford Bridge offering uh, Hardrada exactly six feet of English earth. Oh, that's or, pretty good. As I as I believe he added, maybe a little more since you seem taller than other men. <gasps> oh, that reminds me of a theoretical exchange. It's one of those little, you know, legendary exchanges between a Frenchman and an Englishman. Mm-hmm. And the, fr- the Frenchman says, you fight for money, but we fight for honor. And the Englishman replies, well, each of us is fighting for what we lack most. Nice. That's <laughs> a pretty good one. I was expecting him to say something like, at least we get the money. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> An action scene follows, as you might expect. It's long, but I'm going to give you some highlights. Let's go. Uh, not direct quote, just like summarize. Chaos the Red wasn't armed or armored during this conversation. So before they fight, he has to run inside, don his armor, grab his sword, and run back out. Now, we all know donning armor takes like several minutes at least. Good thing he hit that quick save. Yeah, exactly. Because they live in a video game. (laughs) But the text does tell us that Percival isn't doing anything to take advantage of this delay. He's just standing there, feeling kind of weird about the circumstances. Like, there's not even a, like, yes, I will give you the time to armor, as is a a proper honorable thing. He's just, like, he just runs off to get armored, and Percival's like, man, this is so awkward. And he just stands there. It's weird. Yeah. Poor guy. Actually, no, it's Percival. He doesn't get any sympathy from me. (laughs) That's fair. During the fight, Percival manages to chop off Chaos the Red's arm. Aggressive. I am going to give you one direct quote, which is how the fight ends. And Percival, his heart filled with hatred for the knight, assailed him once more, and struck him full on the head with such a blow that his brains were sent scattering. Percival kill count. One. Oof. Yeah, it's rough. I don't like this Percival guy. No, I don't like him either. After this is done, Chaos the Red's retinue are just kind of like, yeah, this castle's yours again. They inform him said castle is called the Key of Wales on account of being located on the Welsh border. That's key, K-E-Y, and Wales, W-A-L-E-S. Oh, it is It is key, not Q-U-A-Y. Oh. It would make way more sense for a location to be called the key, Q-U-A-Y, of Wales, W-H-A-L-E-S. But no, this is the different one of both of those. The different one? Past Mac, you are an English teacher. It's called a homophone. Go figure. Presumably because it's the way to access Wales because it's located on the Welsh border. But I feel Makes like sense. as a fortification, it's more of a lock. Mm-hmm. But all right, we'll take it. Anyway, this is clearly news to Percival, which is wild, seeing as this castle apparently belonged to his family not long ago. Uh, he just tells them they all work for Mama Iglesias now and to give her the news ASAP. Then he spends the night and leaves in the morning. I mean, at least Iglesias gets something decent out of this. Yeah, well, I mean... It was her castle, or her husband's, whichever. Now She She gets it back. She deserves that. Next, Percival arrives at Tent Kingdom as expected. This is apparently what the delay was. Oh, I see. However, instead of the party atmosphere that prevailed when Clamadaws arrived, this time everyone is in mourning. He recognizes the maiden who comes to greet him as one of the women from Chaos the Red's retinue. 
she recognizes him as well and is just like, oh, it's you. Then she wanders off yelling, oh, I didn't do it. I have to do the thing, don't I? Clamidors! The guy who killed your father and uncle is here! <laughs> I always feel weird doing voices when I know my roommate's in the next room. Luckily, Groucha is nearby and she is on top of things. So she collects Percival and takes him to meet the Queen of the Pavilions. The Queen is simultaneously pleased to see him and super bummed because, you may remember, Chaos's unnamed brother had been married to her unnamed sister. That's right. She describes Chaos the Red as, quote, The finest knight in all my family, who always defended me against my enemies. The Queen starts trying to recruit Percival as her new protector, which may seem sudden, but... The narrator proceeds to explain that she is definitely thinking with her lower brain. Ah. And I quote, But the queen wanted Percival to swear himself to her more than that. I.e. more than just his protector. Ooh. Her protector, rather. And the more she looked at him, the more he pleased her, and the more she burned and longed for his love. But Percival did not think of loving her, nor did he think of anyone else in that way. Asexual icon, Sir Percival. I, I wouldn't call him an icon. <laughs> Fair. He's, he's a problematic icon, but he is an ace problematic icon. Let's call it problematic representation. There we go. He beheld her with great pleasure, for she was beautiful indeed, but he said nothing to make her think that he loved her with a complete love. Which, if we're making him ace, then I guess that's a problematic phrasing. Yeah. But she could not restrain her heart, nor divert her gaze, nor lose her desire. So she is crushing hard on him, or at least lusting after him, and he's just like, I appreciate her like an art piece, for I have no sexual drive at all. That's fascinating. Sometimes when you read into codes of chivalry, it almost seems like asexuality is held up mm -hmm. as an aim. Like, oh, you should be devoted to your work, and you should be chaste, and so on and so forth. And yet, we know for a fact that Lancelot and Gawain are both, like, lady killers. Yes, absolutely they are. So we have this weird dichotomy of the suave, you know, lady killer knight with the asexual murder hobo? Yeah, and to be fair, Percival's pretty much always depicted as asexual. Not in his original appearance, but in later appearances. Fascinating! He's pretty clearly hetero in Chrétien's depiction, but both in this one and in Mallory, Percival is... Obviously, the vocabulary wasn't there, but it's really hard to argue that, that he's anything but ace. Interesting. And that's why he, along with Galahad and Bors are the ones who get to achieve the Grail quest in Mallory, whereas Lancelot tries and just can't get anywhere, because... So I was going to say, that makes a lot of sense. Because Lancelot has a Guinevere problem. Whereas, like you said, asexuality is upheld in the Chivalric Code, and so Percival and Galahad and Bors, who have... I believe in Mallory, the three of them have had between them sex once. Like, Bors did it and decided he didn't like it. Oh. Mac clarifying that past Mac means if you add up the sexual experiences of all three, there is only one actual instance of what the text counts as sex. Not that the three of them had sex together one time and decided they didn't like it. And so they're the ones who can get the grail. Nice. I like that there's space for that. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously other problematic associations with holding up any 
given sexuality as an ideal. But yeah, it's kind of interesting yeah. to see how it shows up in the in older books. Definitely. Anyhow, this is all disrupted by Clamadaz's arrival. He bursts into the tent and delivers the following line. My lady, you do great shame to all your line in seating your mortal enemy and mine beside you. No one should ever trust in your love or help. Nice guys finished last. I know, right? That is, <laughs> that is exactly the vibe I got from that line. Oh my gosh. This knight is my guest and has done nothing wrong ever in his life. <laughs> he killed my father for literally no reason. I know that your sense of kin loyalty is getting overridden by your desire to bone this guy, but try and judge the case objectively, as is your monarchial duty. At this point, Percival gives Clamadaz the elevator eyes and decides he looks like he can put up a good fight, and speaks as follows. Yeah, I killed the guy, but I didn't mean it. I demand trial by combat. Okay, both of you chill the fuck out. I'm tabling this shoot for now. We'll talk about this in the morning. <laughs> These are horrifying voices, and I want to see the animations that go along with them. I wish either of us could animate. I mean, oh. I know how to use Flash, but no one uses Flash anymore. Yeah, that's true. People use Blender. And, oh my god. Your personal voice is terrifying. I'm glad it's coming off it's that way. terrifying. Yeah, he basically does say, like, I didn't mean it. That was that is his line is a never was my heart or my mind set against your father, which is true. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, you know. But he's like, I totally killed him. I just did it. <laughs> I wasn't doing it out of malice. I just did it for fun. Oh gosh. And yeah, she just comes kind of like, okay, no, later, later. The rest of the day is very frustrating for both Clamadaws and the Queen of the Pavilions. The queen is coming on to Percival hard, but in the courtly etiquette way typical of the genre, and Percival is not reciprocating at all. Understandable. I'm imagining that at some point the queen of the pavilions leans over to one of her ladies and goes like, Is he, you know, Florentian? <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those Florentians. Meanwhile, Clamadaz is, quote, filled with rage and muttering misogyny to himself in the corner. He is a nice guy, so... And I mean that in the nice guy TM. Right. Way. Yes. Yes, I got it. In the morning, after mass, a knight in full armor with a white shield rides up. This is Melio of Logris, the lion riding kid from a few chapters ago, all grown up. Here we go. And we have a whole scene here. Your Majesty, I would like to register a complaint against one of your knights for killing my f***ing lion. Which knight? Melio indicates Clamadaz. That one? Right there. I recognize him because I knew him as a boy. And then a direct quote. Clamadaz, did you hear what this knight said? You know I killed his lion. Groucha told you I killed his lion. When I arrived, you had your people treat me for lion-related injuries. Can we please deal with the Percival thing first? Another direct quote. But you have heard that this knight who has come here armed wishes to leave straight away. So absorb yourself first from his accusation. We shall consider the other one thereafter. He also hung my lion's head over the gate. Oh, take move, Clamadaz. Fine, fine. 
I'll fight the guy. But we're talking about the Percival stuff afterwards. Oh, of course. Percival, you be the referee, alright? Excellent idea, milady. There has been an action scene. Melio and Clamidas both end up severely wounded to, like, give the upshot of that whole thing. And the queen has Percival pulled them apart. They're dragged off for healing, and Clamidas begs her as he lies in his sickbed to ensure that he can fight Percival once he is healed. The queen goes out and has the following conversation with him. So you're going to stay with me until my nephew is well enough to fight you, right? Oh, look, I'd love to. But I left Lancelot lying wounded in a hermitage, and he's expecting me back. How about I just promise to come back and fight him later? And Groucho has a contribution. I will stay here as Percival's hostage, my lady. That doesn't make any sense, Groucho, but uh, fine. Percival, promise to come back when he's healed. What if he dies? Then I hope you come back anyway, for <laughs> different reasons. Oh, uh, sure. It's like weird. And again, I'm not making any of this up. He does literally say, like, what happens if he dies? And she's like, I hope you still come back. You know. You know. Just, just to be around me. Just to be around. Oh, gosh. Trying to see if I can find the line. The exchanges. And if he should die, my lady, would I be absolved of having to return? Yes, indeed, sire, unless you would return out of love for me. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, not subtle. Not at all. Percival goes back to the Hermitage, only to find that Lancelot had decided he was feeling better and left while Percival was away. And that is where Chapter 9 ends. I really do admire how the author is juggling all of these plot threads. Yes. Like, it's very well done, to be fair. There's a lot going on. Yeah, I I, I am told by actual Arthurian-like scholars that this is a common feature of certain French literary traditions, which... It's called something in French, but with which I will call interlacement. Yeah. I, I believe Dr. Armstrong refers to it as... I can't even do it. I'm not going to... I'm going <laughs> to cut out where I tried. I'm going to bleep it. Interlacing plots. Yes. Yeah, where it's, it's kind of... It's like a braid. Interestingly, the original Percival does that with Percival and Gawain. Like, they're just... I'm making a gesture. Where they both have their own plot, and it's like switches back and forth between them. And when it was translated into Icelandic around the saga age, the Icelandic translator decided he didn't like that, or they didn't oh, like no. that. There's no way to know the gender of the translator, but honestly, I assume that it, the people translating these stories have too much testosterone. One would think, given the general timber of their tales. Yeah, but basically, the Icelandic translator undid it and made them two separate stories. Oh, wow. It was like, this, this is silly. easier on his part. French silliness. <laughs> But yes, that is our chapters 7 through 9, and it's already going to be a bit of a long episode, I think, but we are at the point where we had decided to do our segments, so let's do those segments. Yes. Alrighty. And these are going to apply to all of what we've read of Pearl S. so far. I'm going to pull up my notes from the previous ones just so we can go back through and look at them. What say you? What is our first category? Our first one is best dialogue, which is probably the hardest one to do when we're oh spread over gosh. so much space. I know which. Nope. Yes, I know which conversation I think is the best. Which which dialogue? It's the conversation 
that the elder and younger maidens of the tent are having while they're watching Gawain fight their question mark ex-boyfriends question mark. <laughs> like when they're kind of chatting about they're it definitely with exes. and egging him on from the sidelines. I think that whole right. exchange is the best dialogue. Oh, that whole episode was fantastic. Like, so you get a bone or what? Also, can you kill our exes for us, please? Yeah, it really was very on the nose. It was just mm, not great. Not great. They're like, we would like you to kill our current boyfriends and become our new boyfriend. Collectively, I guess. <laughs> Why not? Oh, boy. Okay. Altobrast. We have so many deaths. There's a lot of deaths. Yes. See, my favorite death was gonna be, like, the, the guillotine that the lady had, mm-hmm. but she never killed anyone with it. No, she never got to use it. So that's my favorite way of being killed in this story, but I don't know. Like, no one was killed by that, so. The one that sticks out in my head is actually not so much because of the death itself, because, like, all the deaths are just gratuitously bloody anyway. Yes. But the circumstances right afterwards, I enjoyed the Black Knight that Arthur killed in, in the first bit, where the other, like, Black Knights all came out and took his body apart and ran off with the bits. Oh, the little ant guy! Yeah. I mean, they were full size, but I called them ants because they were carrying off the dead body, and that reminded me yes. of ants. There was that, and then there was the... Did the candlestick knight get killed? I think that was the candlestick knight. Was it the candlestick knight? Because his whole, like, he he takes a candlestick in a dream. Yeah. And then, yeah, he's got a knife sticking out of him, and then he pulls the candlestick out of his pants. Oh, yes, yes, I know who you mean. It's, uh... I can't pronounce his name, but yeah, the, the like squire that Arthur was going to take with him, but then steals it in the in the dream. In the dream. That is also a really good death. Like, I'm not sure if that was death. cliche yet. They're like, or was it a dream? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Then he it dies. couldn't have been. Yeah, who knows, honestly. Who knows, indeed. All right. I think that this next one is where this one will really shine. What could we use in a tabletop RPG game from this text? I mean, so much. First off, knights that are contractually required to fight each other, I think is a great thing. Like, cursed. Mm -hmm. Particularly, like, you can make it a a plot point to try and break the curse, or one of your party could be stuck in this curse. Yes, definitely good. That would help explain why you get a lot of, like, random knightly encounters whenever you go through the forest. It's like... No, it's it's not it's not like a lazy world building. It's a curse, guys. And in it's fact, you have to break the curse. Oh, that's the whole premise. Yeah. I feel like you could also use the trippy church services. Very much, yes. As a thing. Whether just because of like divinity or because there are actual like drugs involved. Either way. Yes. Like it makes it more interesting. You can use the whole premise of everybody's trying to find this one night. And nobody can find him. And like, what are you, what are you gonna do? The the idea of like a hermit basically gatekeeping the night. We're like, no, oh my god, he's in here, but you can't see him. <laughs> you can't come in. Is I think also fun. That wouldn't work on a murder hobo party. No, but the hermit is King Pele's, so if he's like a really high, you know, <laughs> caster, that could work. Yeah. Speaking of hermits, that is something else you could employ. When your party is moving through the wilderness, you could occasionally let them stay at a hermit's uh, hermitage instead of like an inn. That would be pretty dope. And you can attach all kinds of plot points to hermits. That's very true. Let's see. You could have a big LARP. 
You could like, have a big in the campaign. <laughs> Is that too meta? There's like layers on layers. Well, you could just call it a tournament. Like it's it's in the text. It's not like that's true. You can have a tournament in the text. That's fair. Like a king king of the castle, literally mm-hmm. king of the hill tournament. <laughs> There's also the whole three women cart full of heads. Mm-hmm. Please go and ask a question about the Grail, and then you have to make a bunch of like wisdom saves or con saves to not get distracted. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a really great, like, uh, last-minute twist to spring on them. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's not just that you have to say this thing. It's that you need to pass a bunch of saves in order to do it successfully. Yeah, yeah. You could use the whole dwarf thing. Like, this is a new take on dwarves, because I know, like, D&D dwarves tend to go, like, the ye old craftsman, mm-hmm. you know, Scottish accent, just, you know, smith route. But this is a new way you can use dwarves. Granted, dwarves in this text are not usually incredibly helpful or benevolent but who says they have to be in your campaign yeah i I feel like at best in this one so far they're neutral because like some of them are just there but they're chaotic neutral fey creatures why not yeah they definitely have a chaotic energy like half the time when we see them they're like trying to this has only come up a couple times i think in the bit we've read so far but it keeps coming up is one of the things dwarves do is much like the thing that women in Icelandic sagas do is to like egg people on to take vengeance. <laughs> go do the thing. It's like the, the one in the graveyard who was just like, that's him. Go get him. Go get him. <laughs> go get that guy. Like that's something that comes up. I do also want to see the party get stuck in a castle where there's a set number of reliquaries already set up for them, mm-hmm. but they can't give their names. Like that's the, costume of the castle and they're like that's pretty that's pretty shady what are the what are the reliquaries for why are they empty can they get out of there alive yeah and hey the reliquaries like there's there's still stuff in there you gotta you gotta poke your head in to look at it magic items yeah you you want those don't you you better look real close stick your hand in stick your hand in do it it'll be fine yeah basically the entire entire haughty maiden thing or the entirety of, as we ended up pronouncing it, Castle Ogre Lux. Yeah. <laughs> the <Good> perfume. <laughs> the new cologne. Coming this winter vest. I kind of like the Ant Knights. I've actually statted up an Ant Knight for Pathfinder, and I'm going to post Ooh. that on the blog now that we've done this. Not like right yes. away. Maybe right away. Maybe right after we finish recording. We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling. We also have Melio, the Lion Kid. Who I feel could be a recurring NPC. You, I mean, you could use any of these characters as NPCs, like, and they don't have to be Lancelot and Gawain and Percival. Mm-hmm. But you can just take these psychotic knights and chuck them in, either as evil guys or as weird helpers or as knights errant that they, you know, the party just runs into. Who knows? And hey, speaking of a handy list of NPCs. Another thing that I have prepared and will be throwing on the blog in the very near future is a full list of all of the unfamiliar person and place names from the first nine chapters of this Oh, good. Good. Including both the Bryant and Evans versions, because sometimes they differ. Awesome. I will update our names page with that, too. There's also the double... Like the two, the twin sisters, I'm going to say they're twins because it's cooler that way. Mm -hmm. The twin sisters whose exes you have to deal with. Yes. Yes. That's its own. That is its own adventure. If you're going to run them as they are in this text, you'll have to have either a mature table or you'll have to be like ready for for a a, a difficult session psychologically. I don't know. I always find flirting with players to be a weird thing. It's very, very odd. 
It's very odd, but you can you can alter them so that you know they're just like, hey, can you kill our exes for us? They mm. were toxic. Yeah. yeah, and they can be as cryptic about what is actually going on as they were in the text, where they just called it like an evil custom of the tent that they were dating these guys. Boom. Uh, oh, of course, we have the sword. How can we forget about the sword? Right, the sword that is like a dagger when it's in its sheath, but a great sword when it's not. Yes, when you pull it out and it bleeds every single day at noon. Yes. Okay, one thing I also want to add as like a magic item slash location, the castle of inquiry. Remember where he asked and he gets like the yes. And I think there should be two versions. Okay. Which you can use either or both in your campaign, where like the greater version, the more useful version is that the character, not the player, but the character gets to ask a series of questions to the GM in character and get honest responses. And another less useful version where the character gets to ask a series of questions in character to one of the other players. Sort of zone of truthing it, but not quite. Yeah, where like there's like how you would depict it is pretty much how how it's depicted in the in the text, where there's just like a priest who's like channeling something higher, but the people you get to talk to are the rest of the people at the table. I like it. I like it. That's really good. You have to be careful with that. Respect player knowledge and character knowledge, but also have some fun with that. Yeah, you would have to be very good at separating player knowledge and character knowledge to decide what your character would want to ask about. But at the same time, this is a way to breach that boundary and get some player knowledge and put it into character knowledge. That's great. I like that. All right. What else have we got? Oh, one of the ex-boyfriends that he killed was a descendant of Achilles and had to be stabbed in the foot. I feel like that's a fun thing to throw in, especially if it's unexpected. Very true. That'd be a good, a good like, mini-boss or boss. Yeah. There's also the illusion bridges that Gawain has to cross to get into the Fisher King's castle. Right. Oh. You can incorporate those. When I was doing the list of names, I found out that the uh, illusion bridges are given different names in the two different things. Bryant calls them uh, the Bridge of the Needle, but Evans calls it the Bridge of the Eel, which I actually like better. The Eel? Yeah. It's also something that's long and thin, but it's it's sinuous and in motion. I I like like that. That's really cool. All right. Anything else from this section? There's so much. I know. I know. There's tons. Um, I like the pavilion, the, the literal tent city. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. I don't believe it ever. They ever explain why it's only inhabited by women, but sure. why the heck not? Yeah, everyone needs to include a claim at Oz. <laughs> oh, just a really annoying like teenage kid who's like, "I want to go after this guy." Do feel free to have your players hunted down by like the twerpy preteen children of the people they killed. I love that. That would be fantastic. I want some more consequences in my D&D. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I always want more consequences for any kind of murder hobo behavior. Absolutely. Uh, you could include the Castle of the Beards. Ugh, yeah, you could. You could do that. <laughs> you could. Just lots of beard shirts and decapitated heads and beards on the walls. Why not? Yeah, there are a lot of locations, actually, that you could just pull in whole cloth. Most of the yes. castles... Like the castle of the Black Hermit, the waste yes. city where uh, Lancelot beheads the guy. Yeah, and you've got the the heron who like cacaws out there. Yeah, like the herons don't cacaw, but they you know call. Yeah, yeah, whatever you call that noise, the heron that makes that the heron who makes that noise. Yeah. 
Castle of Souls is a pretty cool name for the Fisher King's place. It's an excellent name. You could just take that. You could use the ripoff version of the Green Knight story with Lancelot. Like, yeah. promise that you're going to come back and, like, <laughs> cut your own head off. If you want to really confuse your players, you could deploy it exactly as is. And you could make up, like, your own consequences for what actually happens, because we don't know how this is going to end yet. Yeah. Oh, and I do like the idea of, like, a body that disappears as soon as you stop looking at it. That is, like, that's really good. Never explained. As far as I know, that is not explained. Although, take that with a grain of salt. I'm still working my way through this whole thing. Right. But just at some point, like, a body disappears, and then and you don't mention it until one of the players is like, I want to search the body. You go, like, what body? Oh! <gasps> There's nothing there. That would be really good. Uh, two knights who are fighting each other who are family. It's another theme you could tie in. Yeah. That one you could even use in like a serious way. Yes. I think that about hits all of it. Yeah, I'm running low. That's a lot of them, though. Yes. There's a lot there. And I'm sure we missed some stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, demons and angels arguing over a hermit's soul. Oh, yeah. That was in the first chapter. Oh, gosh. You could have a kid who, like, you could have the whole candlestick dream thing. Like, you wake, like, mm-hmm. one of the players wakes up and they're actually literally stabbed and they pull a candlestick out of their pants. Yes. Level two, baby. <laughs> <laughs> My patron didn't tell me about this. I, f- I feel like that would actually be a fantastic backstory for an adventurer. Is like, oh. I dreamed I stole a candlestick, but when I woke up, I actually had a stolen candlestick and now I'm on the run. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm wanted for stealing a candlestick. And I don't know where I got it. Yeah, but I know that they're looking for me. Should we go on to our next one? Yes. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? In states unborn and accents yet unknown. How about fanfics and super overpowered OCs? Those are definitely things we still see. Probably not inspired <laughs> by this, but Clamadaws of the Shadows would fit right in. We'll count him. We'll throw him in there. All right. Street smarts! Lessons. There's a lot we can learn from this yes. text. How about don't attack people on sight? Yes, absolutely. Like, that is a bad move. Generally, violent psychopathy frowned upon in civilized society or non-civilized society. Any kind of society, I think, frowns on violent psychopathy. Ones that don't tend to stop being societies. Societies, yeah, absolutely. And then you've got, you know, if if somebody says like, oh, it's as simple as answering a question or asking a question. It's not. Yes. It's really not that simple. There's always a catch. Do not take that. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Absolutely not. At the same time, like, try and keep your wits about you during religious ceremonies, especially if you have something important to do. Yeah, for sure. Maybe ask what's being offered or smoked or, you know, what are the substances before you go in? That's important. Yes. Hmm. Generally, ask people questions. When things happen that don't make sense, ask about it. No, 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 no. Ask the right questions. Because Gawain asked a whole bunch of questions. He just didn't ask any of the sensible ones. I feel like he asked the wrong person was the problem. Also that. I mean, he went to the Castle of Inquiry and yes. asked the wrong questions. Yeah, there's something to remember. Uh, there are places to ask your questions. Maybe go to the FAQ castle whenever you are confused about life. I want an FAQ castle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's so all a metaphor. Easier. Oh, gosh. 
don't get too meta. You'll just you'll start seeing through your own life. It'll all be metaphor. <laughs> don't question it. Alrighty. I feel like I had another one and I'm blanking. Oh yeah. If someone says there's an evil custom, always check and make sure that like it's not a breakup. Like this goes with ask questions. When people say vague and cryptic <laughs> things, go like, no, uh, 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 uh. you have to tell me what you're talking about. Someone uh-huh, says like, I uh-huh. will not reveal my name. Like, reveal your f-ing name. Yeah, remember the talking deer? Like, come on. Yeah, just don't just accept weird cryptic statements. Don't do it. Yeah, have some boundaries. Yeah, respect your own boundaries. All right. Best moment. Who? It's Guillotine Castle for me, baby. Oh, of course it's Guillotine Castle. Why would it be anything else? <laughs> yes, yes, that whole bit where she explains like her ah everything. It's her whole evil plot. Yes, and you know Gawain's like. <laughs> So glad that I didn't say my name. I'm I'm gonna go. I'll be back. We have this, like, cold dramatic irony moment where we're like, we know it's Gowan, and we know that the only reason she doesn't know it's Gowan is because of this stupid custom. But she's, like, monologuing like a comic book villain. Uh Like, I will chop off their heads. It's it's amazing. Just for me. Yeah, I'm really worried about what exactly she wants to do with them. Like, do they stay in the boxes? I feel like it's just, like, reliquaries, like a collection, but also, like, Yeah. Do the heads go separately? Yeah, the heads do go separately. I thought one of them was for her. It was Percival, Lancelot, Gawain, and one for her, right? Yes, one is for her. She wants to be buried next to them, but she, but if her plan works, they're all going to be decapitated first. Right. And, like, I just have this image of her, like, petting the decapitated heads. Oh, she definitely would. That's... Mm-hmm. Don't like that. But yes, that was definitely the best moment when she explained her evil plot. Oh, gosh. All right. The court. Now, we have a lot of options. You get to pick first. The only thing I want to make sure I remind you is we already decided that King Arthur is ambiguously mortal, so you can't pick him. Right, right. Oh, this is... This is real tricky. Like, part of me wants to go with Clamadaws because, you know, he's an up-and-comer. Mm-hmm. I like him. Percival is just insane. I don't necessarily want him. Yeah. Oh. And remember, all of the recurring characters, you'll probably have another crack at next time around unless I take one. That's, that's true. I think I'll go with Gawain because he's got that himbo energy. Of, like, he doesn't ask the right questions, but he's pretty good at what he does. Yeah. So I'll go with I'll go with Gawain, because I don't want Percival, and I, I want to see more of what, what Clamadaz has to offer first. All right. That is a blow. I will have to go with my second choice. Oh! Who will, of course, be Lancelot. If you have Gawain, I'm taking Lancelot. Of course. I like that neither one of us want Percival at this no, point. No, he's creepy. He's, he's the... He's the he, head of this entire story. He's the good knight. Oh, he's really not. No, he's not. It's dramatic irony. Final rating. All right, we have to rate it. Ooh, final rating. Mm-hmm. This is hysterical. I'm I'm really pressed to give this anything less than a ten, but it's probably because you're giving us the highlights. That is true. I am so, and it's a lot. so long. So I'll give it, I'll give it a solid nine for the sheer absurdity of it, and I'm taking a point off for length. 
I am matching you for the same reasons. Yeah. I really, really wish it were shorter. Yeah, but otherwise it's hilarious. It is exactly the kind of total batshittery that I look for in a good medieval text. It's crazy. Yeah, so do you want to read us some more of Hildegard, or do you want to just do correspondence? I'm thinking just correspondence, because we're already pretty long here. Yeah, we are. Punk, a messenger! All right. So Lady Antiope commented on our Christmas episode Instagram post that she just listened to the episode and about the leech's corner. I know about dragon's blood. It's a resin that comes from a specific species of palm tree, Dracania, and is bright red in color, hence the obvious conclusion it came from an actual dragon. It was used as incense, like frankincense, etc., in various religious and medicinal practices. It would have been available as any other resins that came up from the Middle East, I expect. But I've seen it in apothecary lists all the way up into the late 1800s or early 1900s as a medicinal ingredient. It is certainly still used in incense and perfume blends today. Oh, that that explains a lot, actually, both uh, about this specific thing and in general, because... I have I have dragon's blood scented soap, and I thought it was metaphorical. Right? Like, I have seen this at Ren Fairs, too. Like, I've seen it as a scent, and I didn't realize it actually came from Yeah, I thought they were just real. like, this is what we would imagine the dragon's blood to, to, to smell like. This is our, like, interpretation. But no, it's an actual thing. That's wild. I feel like combining that information with what we got from Hildegard tells us that the people selling this resin were able to communicate that it was called dragon's blood, but not that it was not literally dragon's blood. Dragon's like, blood. Like that got lost in translation at some point. And so people were going like, yes, this is blood from a dragon, of course. And the people selling it's it were calcified. like, oh, yes, we call this stuff dragon's blood. Of course. Of course. They could probably sell it for a lot more. I mean, I'm not going to put that against them. Yeah, maybe it was on purpose. But yeah, so there was, there was a ships passing in the night moment at some point. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's see. You have Luft on our Facebook also mentioned regarding the sermons. I never thought sermons could be so entertaining. I was especially curious about that AAA or the ah sermon. So I went on and used my superpower of being able to read the Old Testament in its canonized Hebrew original and found that Jeremiah 1.6, according to the Jewish edit, says, enter Hebrew text here, which I cannot read, which I read as, and I say, alas, God, my Lord, I know no prophecy, for I am but a boy, or something like that. But the interesting part is that the second word in the original, Hebrew is written right to left, mind you which is pronounced at least in the modern as aha, A-H-A, and according to a dictionary I consulted means sighing in sadness or despair. It also appears in the book of Judges in chapters 11, 35, and is probably an onomatopoeia. So it could be that some earlier translation of the Bible transliterated as the onomatopoeic aha to ah, like you're sighing in despair, like ah, something like that. And then Yoav also provides some caveats that... He has no formal education in Hebrew studies. He's just a native speaker of modern Hebrew, which is very close, but not the same, which is closer than either of us have. So, it's true. you know, it's amazing. I can recognize some of the letters and that's about as far as I go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there are editing differences between the canonized Jewish Bible uh, and the Christian Old Testament, which are essentially the same text. So Jeremiah 1, 6, a Christian tradition might actually refer to a slightly or rarely completely different sentence. The editor might have decided to divide the sentences differently or rearrange the chapters or whatnot. And in point three, I did not consult Jewish exegesis for said sentence. It's possible that my traditional interpretation is very different. 
So there we go. It is pretty close to what we saw when we were looking up other translations of the same verse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised. Yeah, so I'm inclined to say that that is an, a, a pretty accurate translation. Or if it's not, at least everyone who's translating the Old Testament is making similar errors. Right, exactly. And then we had one more on the Christmas sermon, which does go back to Hildegard from Kelly Shipley, who did a feast based off of one of Hildegard's writings, and she's a member of the SCA, and I will link this little feast that she has provided in the blog as well, because it is so cool, and I'll read a little bit from it. It's called The Feast of the Four Humors. She provides a, a small summary of Hildegard's life and provides a brief background on humors and humorism. But anyway, the feast itself is fantastic. It looks amazing. The first course is bread with herb, butter, pea soup, lettuce herb, served with an herb vinaigrette, assorted cheeses, landjäger. Like the list is just fantastic. And there are recipes for each one of these. She lists where she gets these recipes or if she's created them herself, so on and so forth. But I'll link this. It's super, super cool. And then at the end, she does list her resources. But there we go. Oh, there was one more that I wanted to just shout out out real quick. And that is for any academics out there who are pursuing Latin or medieval Latin. There is a new like how-to self-taught guide called Medieval Latin, a beginner's self-taught guide written by Luke Daly. That has just come out. So if you are looking for some practice on medieval Latin. He's looking for reviewers at the moment, so you can get connected with him, or you can purchase his book on Amazon or you know wherever wherever you can find it. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to shout that out because it's always cool to see new resources come out, especially by people who are up and coming in the academic community. And I believe Dally is spelled D-A-L-Y. If you're Google, yes, him. yes. Thank you. But yeah, I think that's that's all I've got. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else that I want to bring up. All right. All right. Well, I think that does it. So, welcome to the new year. <laughs> We're hitting it off with Carlos Vals again. And yeah, we got lots of cool stuff in store for the new year. So, please do check it out. The more you support us, the more we can give back to you. And yeah, we're working working hard on this side to get some cool stuff out to you. Yes. All right. All right. All things sign and all that. Yes. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter at Maniculum and on Instagram at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Incidentally, future Mac, please remember to put in a previously on Perlis Vows here. You forgot it last time. <laughs> record it right now as you're listening to this right now record it and put it in all right very diligent to your future self i don't trust my future self he's very forgetful fair enough all right so um okay <laughs>